My name is Matt Ritchie, and I am one of the pastors here at Grace, and it's a, an honor to, to serve here as part of the staff, and uh, it's also a joy to be able to share with you today on this final Sunday of 2023. Um, I know I'm going to write the date wrong like next week. I'm going to still write 2023 on a check or something like that, but it's kind of crazy how time is flying by, and, and, and just to kind of start us off, what does everybody kind of talk about in the new year? Year, uh, as we're getting ready to start a new year, what's kind of the term everybody starts to talk about? New Year resolutions. Can I just admit to you that I hate New Year's resolutions? And here's why. They're, they're not bad. They're good. They're good. It's a good idea. It's just for me personally represents more failure than success. Okay. It's just sort of like, I don't know if I want to talk about this. I, I've, you know, I've failed so much. Maybe this year I just take a break, you know, and, um, I have this feeling, I can't prove it, but I have this feeling that all gym memberships are purchased right after Christmas and before the new year. And again, I don't have any proof of this, but I did do a, a search online and I, I, I answered, asked this question to the interwebs. How long does a gym membership typically last? And the result was 50% of gym memberships are canceled within six months. Now, I don't know if that's true. I don't know. I don't even remember the source or where I read that. But doesn't that ring true to you? Doesn't that sound about right? Um, here's another one. And this is more when it, it, regarding spiritual discipline. Uh, there are a lot of people that maybe around the new year, they may make this goal. Well, I'm going to read the Bible cover to cover from beginning to end the, in, in this next year. And I just have this suspicion that, you know, you read Genesis, and if you've read Genesis, it's pretty exciting. Like, you know, creation, flood, all kinds of cool characters. There's a lot of war and, you know, like, just kind of chaos, and God's moving and God's working, and Exodus is sort of the same, but you get a, once you get to Leviticus, you know, that springtime of the year, you're like, what am I reading, you know? And I just have the suspicion that Bible plans die somewhere in Leviticus, somewhere, and I don't have proof of that, but I did Google this, or I put this into the interwebs as well. Um, I found this, 56% of Americans desire to read the Bible more, but only 11% say they read it every day. And so when we may start out with some, with some goals, but it doesn't always work out. And then here's just kind of a general one. Bad habits, here's, again, I have no proof of this, but it just seems like bad habits, we're gonna get rid of the bad habits here in January, but it seems by about March, everything that we said we weren't gonna do or we were start doing that was healthy, it's all kind of back to normal or what it was just a few months later. And I did find this. Um, this is according to a university study. It says 9% of people, only 9% of people complete their New Year's resolution. 23% quit in the first week. <laughs> now we laugh because I, I think most of us are like, yeah, that sounds about right. And then 43% quit by the end of January. And, and again, I don't know if that's exactly right or exactly true, but it seems about right. And here's kind of my, here's kind of what I was thinking about. As I was preparing for this message, I was like, I don't want to do a whole nother New Year's resolution sermon. And so I was trying to think and pray through like, God, what do you want me to talk about? And this thought struck me, 
what if we started with what is what does God want to do in 2024? Instead of what we want to do in 24, what if we started with the question, what does God want to do in 2024? Now, um, a little disclaimer up front, I'm not a prophet. I am not, I do not possess the ability to uh, look into your heart and life and predict the future, specifically what God wants to do for you in the year 2024. But I can tell you the promises of God, and I, I, and I know that those promises are trustworthy and they should shape our priorities and our actions for the future. And so kind of with that in mind, the key text, and I failed to tell you this, but it's going to be in Psalm 34. But to be honest, I'm going to share a lot of scripture today. I think there's some references on your sermon guide um, that you can uh, use for later study. But in Psalm 34, here's our key text for today. Verse 8 says this, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, we just came through the holidays, Christmas, Thanksgiving a few months, a few weeks back. Uh, New Year's Eve, um, all those holidays in my family represent significant meals, okay? And so I like to eat, I love food. In fact, when I was getting dressed this morning, I chose a black sweater because I'm told it's slimming. And so, and then, you know, there's pictures taken throughout the holidays. And I asked one of my nieces, she, uh, was uh, she got a gift for my mother-in-law that had to do with family pictures. And it was a really cool sentimental gift. And I was afraid that I was pictured in some of those photographs. And I, I asked her, I said, did you only choose the pictures of me where I look skinny? And she assured me that she had only chosen those pictures. Because we think about this kind of stuff, but I like food. And when we read a passage that says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, that's what I think about. And I, I made some wings over this uh, past week. And I'm telling you, Idaho has a problem. We do not have a barbecue sauce. And so we need to lobby the manufacturer to get it here to Idaho. It's called Cattleman's Gold Barbecue Sauce. Have you heard of this? How many of you heard of Cattleman's Gold? Okay, see, you all need to experience this barbecue sauce. It's the greatest thing in the world of barbecue sauces. And here's my point. When we taste something that's good, we wanna share it, right? If you try a new restaurant, if you try a new food, if there's a dish somebody made, you, you say, oh man, you gotta try so-and-so's pie or you gotta try so-and-so's dish or you gotta go to that restaurant and try that sandwich or that burger. Because when you taste something that's good, you tell people about it. And here's the picture of the psalmist. He's saying, the Lord is good. Taste and see that he is good. And it says, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Now, if you wanted to, you could read this passage in such a way that it would paint God as an angry old man that says, hey, you better fear me you better do what I want you to do. And if you don't, I'm just waiting for you, for you to, to mess up, to make a mistake. And when you do, I'm gonna be right there to remind you. I'm gonna be right there to punish you for it. Because if you don't live up to my standard, you're going to have a hard life. I don't really believe that that's the heart of, the, of, of God. And I don't believe that's the heart of the author of this passage because he starts with, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. But there is a warning that our lives apart from God, they don't end well. 
It doesn't go well. And there should be a healthy fear and respect of God. But more than that, I believe that it's healthy at times to imagine our life totally devoid of God. That's a fearful place. And I think it's okay to to think, okay, there is a life without God that should be feared. Life is healthy when we're in communion with God, but separated from God, life can be harsh, heavy, depressing, destructive. It leads to death. And I'm not just talking about physical death, but spiritual death of the soul. And here's my, maybe it's an oversimplification of what I'm trying to communicate, but this is how I see it. People who live life as their own God or King live to regret it. And people who live with Christ as their King don't. Let me say that again. People who live for themselves, when we say, I'm the captain of my soul, when I make myself my own God, my own decision maker, my own Lord, my own master, people who live that way, it may seem like they prosper for a season, but there will come a time where they regret that life decision. And in my experience, I've simply observed people who have said, no, I'm gonna live for Christ. I'm gonna make him the center. I'm gonna make him the Lord of my life. And I've never met people who regret that decision. And so with that in mind, I wanna establish that God is good. And not only is he good, he is worth building our lives on. And so therefore, when we approach this new year, I think a good starting place is, again, not seeking what I want to accomplish in this year, but what does God want to do in 2024? Now, preachers are supposed to only have three points. I have seven, okay? So I'm breaking the rules and we're ending the year strong and we're starting strong, however you wanna think of it. But if you're taking notes, the very first thing that God wants to do in 2024, and it's not something new, he is going to remain holy. He's going to remain holy. Holy. 1 Peter 1.16, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, God calls us, so he is the one who is holy, he all, he, you also be holy in your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And before we get into our response to this call to be holy, I want to just focus for a moment on who God is. God is holy. He is set apart. He is different than us. He is righteous. He is good. He is trustworthy. He is dependable. He is unchanging. A few years ago, uh, and I'm maybe dating myself a little bit, but I remember when Chris Tomlin first came out with that song, How Great Is Our God? And it was sung in just about every church in America and maybe even the Western world for about a decade. And we still sing it sometimes, but don't those words ring true in your heart and deep, deep within your being? How great is our God? Sing with me, how great is our God? Because the very idea of God The fact that we can even comprehend a being that is higher than us, that is more more powerful than us, more more knowing, all-knowing in fact, the fact that we can even comprehend such a being speaks to the fact that there is a God who is greater than us. And we have basically, again, two choices. We, We either believe God is holy, good, righteous, or he's not. And there are people in the world that would say, well, I don't believe God is good. 
but I wanna submit to you that the God of the scriptures, the God that we just read about, not only in 1 Peter, but also in Psalms, the God of the Bible declares himself to be good. And I think that's a good starting point for the years to, to remind ourselves that God is holy and that is not going to change. That's who he is. Because he is holy, number two, if you're taking notes, because he is holy, he is going to receive glory. He is going to receive glory. First, excuse me, Colossians chapter one, verse 15 says this, speaking of Jesus, but also of God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. God is going to receive glory in 2024, and it doesn't really matter whether we praise him or not. In fact, the psalmist wrote this in Psalm 19, verse one, it says, the heavens themselves, creation itself, declares the glory of God. Jesus alluded to this in one of his conversations with his disciples and with the people around him that day. He said, you know, even if you didn't praise me, the very rocks would cry out. And I remember as a little kid singing a song in in kids' church, until the rocks cry out, I'm gonna praise you. And here's the point, God is going to receive glory. And whether it's praise or worship from you and I, it's going to be praise from the things that were made. They declare, creation itself declares the glory of God. And you might be sitting here tempted to think, well, why does God want our worship? Why does God want our praise? And I've talked about this before, but I think it's worth mentioning again that God is not insecure. He's not insufficient. He's not needy. You know, if somebody walked into this room and they said, hey, I need all of you uh, to bow down and worship me at this, at this time. I, I need you to throw some accolades my way. We'd be like, okay, like you're a maniac, okay? Security, where's the security team? So uh, it's not normal. And of course we affirm each other and we, we, we compliment each other and that's, that's one thing. But we don't praise God because he is insufficient or insecure and he needs reminded of his goodness. No. He's calling us to live in or step into the purpose or the design for what we were created to to live out. I have a, when I say I have one, our family has a KitchenAid mixer on the, uh, the counter, okay? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. And my kids were, we were kind of making cookies this, you know, this holiday season or whatever, and we were using the mixer, and, and I don't even know how it came up, but we, we kind of began to talk about this concept, and I said, what if I use this mixer as a hammer? Like, what if I tried to use it to pound something, you know, to, to build something? And even my kids, as young as they are, they're like, no, that doesn't make any sense because they intuitively know that a KitchenAid mixer is not designed to drive a nail, it's designed to get goodness into my stomach. That's what it's designed for. It's designed for that. Now, could I use it for some other things? Yes, I could. But it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be at its most valuable state if I were to use it for something other than what it's designed to do. And here's the point. You and I were designed, we were created to give glory to God, to, to worship Him. 
and there's uh, some other pieces to our purpose, but that is one of our core, uh, that's one of the core reasons by which we were created. And so when God says, hey, I'm, I'm gonna receive glory and I want you to worship me, it's not a self-centered, selfish desire of God. He's calling us into something that we were designed to do. And it's fulfilling to you and I. And by the way, he deserves our glory. He deserves our worship. He deserves to be honored and prioritized. He deserves because of who he is and what he has done. And that's sort of a segue into the the third point. Part of what God is going to do in 2024 is he's going to lead us in the way of truth. Lead, he's going to lead us in the way of truth. John 16, 13 says, when the spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. I wanna make two quick observations about this this idea of God, the Spirit of God leading us into all truth. First of all, the Spirit never leads you and I into a place of confusion or chaos. If your life is is marked by confusion and chaos, you can bet that that is not the work of God. It's, It's the work of either your own decisions or the enemy that we face each and every day. Um. I've done dumb things. Anybody out there, you've ever done stupid things? Okay. When my life is marked by confusion and chaos, it's not God's fault. And there are times where I think that we look around and we say, well, I don't know what my next step is, or I don't know how this all happened, but there needs to be somebody to blame. And and if there's nobody around us that's... (laughs) standing there, we can easily blame God for some of these things. And I want to just remind you that the spirit of God is marked by one of order. It's marked by truth. And he has promised to guide us into the things that are clear and dependable. Now, is that to say that God um, always gives us the answer right up front? No. Um, I'm a destination guy. I'm not about the journey. You know, there's like, sometimes there's these people that are out there like, it's all about the journey. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's about where you're going. I don't like the journey. Um, We were just driving this week as a family. We spent some time up in Cascade with some of my in-laws and we were driving home last night. And I was like, we told the kids, use the restroom. We are not stopping. Like we are going home. Like we are, and of course we stopped. So, um, but I, I don't, when I'm on a trip, I don't care if it's a vacation, a commute, I, I, I'm frustrated by the journey. And sometimes there's construction and there's ways, there's big signs that say detours. And I hate that. When I plan a route and all of a sudden I'm detoured, it, the journey just did not get exciting. The journey just got more frustrating. And so there's a, t- there's a part of me that's like, God, you're leading me, you're, you're guiding me. Why don't you just tell me where we're going? Why, can you just lay that out there? I would love to know like, okay, you're taking me up this mountain, spiritually speaking, or there's this curve in the road and I can't see what's ahead. And it, it would be really helpful if you would just tell me what's up. Why are we going this way? I'd love to know that. 
Um, what's ahead? I'd like, like to know that. Where are we going to stop? Uh, uh, you know, what, what's the destination? And God calls us to trust him. And so this isn't to say, when I say the spirit will not lead you into confusion, this isn't to say that God is gonna give you the right answers or the destination and say, you don't no longer have to trust him because he's given you the final answer. No, he's gonna still call you to trust him and take a next step. And you may not be able to see what's around the corner, but the path you're on is not gonna be a path of confusion or chaos. It's gonna be on a path that's stable and dependable and one marked by truth. Now, the other thing I wanna say is that the spirit never leads us into a place of sin. Is God sovereign? Yes, he is. Is he in control? Yes, he is. And in some twisted way, that logic may lead, we may be tempted for that concept to lead us down a path of, well, I sinned and, and it must have been God's plan because otherwise he wouldn't have like, it wouldn't have happened. No, God is not the author of sin. He's not the author of rebellion. He's not the author of evil. There is a limited free will that we have. And if we step into sin, it is not because God led us there. It's because we chose to go there. Either we were deceived by the enemy or we were making less than stellar choices, to put it lightly. We were following our own pleasure, our own desire, whatever it might be. Now, can God forgive us? Absolutely. Can he correct us? Absolutely. Can he even use what our past was marked by? Even the shameful things that we have done, can he even take those things and use them for his glory? He is that big of a God. Absolutely, yes, he can but he is not the author of evil. He is not the author of sin. And, and the spirit has promised, to, it, it, the spirit will not lead you into sin. He will guide us in the way of truth. I wanna say one other thing is that Jesus himself is described as the cornerstone. A cornerstone, and, and, I, and this may surprise you, but I actually worked on a small construction crew in college. And so um, I know what it means to run a tape measure and a speed square and a level. And um, I saw a meme this week where there was a, a video of a construction worker on a job site, and he was trying to use a four-foot level to see if, the, if water was level. Some of you will get that later. So like, it, anyways, it was level. He didn't need to check it. So... But we have whole tools in the construction industry devoted to ensuring that the foundation, the structure is square, that it is true, that it is precisely exactly what we want it to be. And just a, a little small distance of variation can throw off the entire structure. And so we have technology, we even use lasers these days and, and we're, we just wanna make sure it's exactly perfect because we know that when the foundation is sure and we know that the, the, the form is square, the structure is square and measured precisely, we know that the structure is gonna be sound. And the same principle is true in our spiritual lives. Without building our life on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, we forfeit a firm foundation but that cornerstone not only sets the foundation, but it sets direction for our life. And the Christian life is often about direction. And so because of that, we need to make sure that our lives have a foundation that is true, that is sure. And the spirit promises to lead us in the way that is trustworthy and true.
Number four, moving on. To, in, to enable us to do this, and this is kind of a cool thought. According to Romans 8, the Spirit himself is, is praying for us. You know, a lot of times here, especially in church circles, we'll say, like, you know, we might share something that we're going through that's maybe difficult. We're like, hey, I'm praying for you. Or, um, you know, we may put out a prayer request and we have like a, a, a way to share prayer requests in the community of our church. We could just call it the prayer chain or the prayer email list and we'll post needs. And, and it, it, isn't it encouraging to know that other people, maybe even people you don't know, they're praying for you when you're going through a tough time. But how amazing is it to, if you can, can for just a second, imagine the spirit himself interceding to the Father on our behalf. Now, we just sang a song, um, King of Kings, that says, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. And I know as a pastor, I should probably be able to articulate perfectly the doctrine of the Trinity. But to be honest, the idea of a three-in-one triune God sort of still blows my mind. I don't fully comprehend it totally. But here's what I do understand is that in some way, there are three separate beings in one God. And the spirit looks at you and I, and he's saying, I love them. And Father, I'm appealing to you on their behalf. Here's where they are. This is what they're feeling. This is what they're going through. And I am asking you to bend your ear to take special attention in their lives. Now, do you think God hears the spirit when the spirit brings your name to the Father? Absolutely, he does. And so when you feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and they're not going anywhere, I want you to know that the Spirit is interceding on your behalf to the Father. He's praying for you. Romans eight twenty six. it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as, as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He is our advocate. He is our friend. He is cheering us on. Our best interest is at his heart and his desire is to see us live in victory, power, and purpose. Now, am I saying that um, your life is just going to be one giant blessing and there's not going to be any problems this year? I can't promise you that. Because the reality of the world we live in is, is the world we live in is broken. And that leads me to my next point. And number five, if you're taking notes, he's going to be there in the midst of our suffering. And there are hard days, potentially hard days right around the corner. And I'm not trying to be a downer. I'm just trying to remind us all of the reality of the world we live in. It's a sinful world. It's a broken world. It's imperfect. And we just preached through a whole series on Revelation where we reminded uh, ourselves over and over again that there is coming a new day. There is coming a new earth where all things will be made right. But the reality is we're here. And there still is pain and there still is suffering. And in the midst of those times, God is, the Spirit is praying for you. But he's not only praying for you, but the question could be asked, where is God in the moment of my pain? Where is God in, in times of suffering? 
philosophers, skeptics, atheists, agnostics, they've all posed this question as sort of um, attacks on Christianity or religion in general. And they say, where is God in the time of pain? And, they, um, and, and there's been incredible amount of human suffering across not only human history, but even in this past year, just read a few of the, the news headlines over the past few months or weeks, and you'll read a story of suffering all across our world. And so the question could be asked, where is God? Where is God in, in times of suffering? And we have an answer. First of all, I want you to know that he understands what, it, what it's like to hurt. He understands what it's like to suffer. We can, based on the narrative of scripture, we can assume a few things that Jesus may have experienced. For example, his stepfather, earthly father, Joseph, is not mentioned in the adult life of Jesus. And knowing what we know about the Roman Empire, life expectancy wasn't very long. Today, we enjoy a life expectancy of around 79, 80 years of age. Back in the first century, it was more like 40. And so it, we could assume that maybe he knows what it's like to lose a stepfather. We know that he grieved over the death of John the Baptist. We know that he grieved over the death of Lazarus. He know, he's acquainted with grief. We know, we know that he got hungry. We know that he got tired. We know that he was pierced physically. We know he was beaten. We know he was lied about. We know he was falsely accused and slapped and, and excluded and rejected. And like everything that, that you and I probably have experienced, Jesus has experienced it more. And I, I really believe that one of the reasons why the, the, the devil, when he was tempting Jesus in the desert, if you remember in Matthew chapter four, Jesus goes into the desert to fast and pray and the enemy, Satan comes and tempts him. And he says, turn, this, turn these, these stones into bread. And, and on its surface, you're like, well, it's not sinful to eat bread. But yet Jesus refuses to, to do that, and I think that part of it is because, and maybe the main reason is because he wanted you and I to know that he did not tap into his deity at all to ease his human pain and suffering. He wanted you and I to, to know that he understands what it feels like when we're in difficult times. So not only does he understand, but the psalmist writes this in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Where is Jesus in our suffering? He's with us. He's with us. You can almost say it like this. He's put himself in our shoes, so to speak. And so he understands he gets it. He's praying for you, yes, but he's also with us. That leads me to the sixth thing. In these difficult times, he's going to hold all things together. Colossians 1.17 says this, he, speaking of Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, I, uh, I'm not like a super smart person, smart scientist. I'm not a biologist. When I read about like biology and all that stuff, it kind of goes over my head. So I need somebody to explain it to me like I'm 10 years old, like I'm that kind of person. And fortunately, there are people out there that take pity on people like me and they do that. 
And uh, one of the people, um, and maybe you've seen this video, Louis Giglio, uh, a pastor at Passion City Church down in Atlanta, he did a video years ago called How Great Is Our God? And he talked about the planets and the solar system and all that stuff. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I don't know. You can probably YouTube it. But in that presentation, he talked about a protein found in the, the, at the cellular level in every person called laminin. Now, um, I'm not even sure I'm saying it right. And, and you might be saying, Matt, it's not a protein. Well, that was the best word I thought it was, okay? So I admit I may get this slightly wrong, but here's what you need to know. Is in that presentation, Louis Giglio talked about how laminin and again, this is an elementary way of thinking it, of it, but it, it's basically the glue or maybe the rebar that holds our cells together. And we just read this verse, in him, in Jesus, all things hold together. He's provided an element at the cellular level that literally holds us together. Now, here's what's so cool about this element called laminin. It's in the shape roughly of a cross. Isn't that cool? And doesn't it make sense that in our, in our very design, God has put a symbol that points to himself. And you're like, well, that's coincidence. Okay, so let me submit to you another thing. Again, I'm sort of out of my depth on this whole biology thing, but the longest word that we have ever discovered as a human race is simply the, the DNA code, Okay. And if you understand anything about the DNA code, which I know very, very little, but basically it's, a, it's an, a, 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 an order of letters and it's forever long. I don't know how many characters it is, but it's forever long. And it's so much information, but these letters are in perfect order. And if one was out of order, our entire genetic, genetic code would be chaos. Now, imagine with me if you can, that we all took a trip to the Oregon coast, okay? And we were on the beach, you know, as the waves are coming in, and we looked there in the sand, and there was written the words in the sand, Keith Wagner, or Matt Ritchie, or uh, Lou Sigma, or anybody else here at Grace Bible Church. All of us would assume, like if we saw the name Keith Wagner written in the sand, all of us would assume, we'd be like, okay, who wrote that? Somebody knows Keith. How did, who, like, did somebody else visit this exact spot from Grace Bible Church? I don't think any of us would be like, well, the waves look like they were carrying some seashells. And after like some repetitive, like back and forth, it looked like the seashells kind of got drug in this pattern and it happened to spell out Keith Wagner. Like nobody would assume that. And John Lennox, a physicist, a professor at Cambridge University, used that very picture to, to, to describe there's no possible way that the, that the, the DNA, the, the, the human DNA code, the longest word we've ever discovered, which is in perfect order, there's no way that we can legitimately argue and say, oh, that, that was just chance. When just a handful of letters, Keith, we know has an author. Isn't it true that when we look at the creation and the design, even in our own bodies, that it screams, it, it declares that there is a designer. There is a creator. And not only that, he's holding it all together. Now, um, we're part of the galaxy, the Milky Way, right? 
right? You, you knew that? Okay. Can anybody name another galaxy? Is there, there's like trillions of them. What's that? Androm- okay, Andromeda, okay? I, I just recently discovered Andromeda, by the way. Did you know about Andromeda? Okay. Now, here's the other thing I recently discovered. Galaxies collide with each other. Like, out on the fringes of the universe, like, apparently this is a common thing where galaxies just run into each other. And it's really terrible. And we, our galaxy is on a collision course with this other galaxy called Andromeda. I'm not even sure I'm saying that right, but it sounds pretty cool, right? We're going to collide with this other galaxy. And I started reading, and this is all kind of, I was doing some research on that new telescope. You know what I'm talking about? Is it the James Webb telescope? Is that what it's called? Somebody help me out, please. Is that right? Okay, thank you. And it's discovering all these things and scientists are sort of like scratching their heads on some of the things because what they thought they would find, yes, some of it's there, but some of it's not. And it's not kind of in the order that they expected. And it's just sort of like, okay, what does this all mean? And and in my reading and research about this, this telescope, I read that we're on a collision course with another galaxy. Now that sounds like a bad day. And there was all these predictions of like, what's gonna happen with the earth and our weather's gonna change and it's gonna be really terrible. Well, I have some good news. It's not gonna happen for about four and a half billion years. So we have some time. So you don't need to worry about it. But <laughs> I say all that to say this, God, God's holding it all together. He's got it all under control. He knows what's happening. He's, he's controlling the paths of galaxies. He's controlling the paths of our, of our solar system. The, the, the knife edge on which in, uh, our lives are balanced the place we live called Earth is a, is a blessed place. Even the, 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 the combination of air we breathe, the way that's even constructed, it's in such a specific way that if it was a, just a little bit different, we wouldn't even be able to breathe like we do. What am I trying to say? What I'm, I'm just saying like God is holding it all together from you as an individual to our entire universe. He is holding us together and in your pain, and in your suffering, and in your darkest moments, he is there. And finally, number seven, here's what God is going to do and continue to do in 2024. He's going to love us. He's going to love us. Psalm 136 verse one says this. And by the way, anytime the scriptures repeat something, that's when we need to sit up and pay attention. But here it is, the psalmist writes in verse one of 136, it says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Verse two, give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love does what? Endures forever. What is the psalmist trying to say? What is God trying to say to us? Is that no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter how we've pushed him away, no matter what mistakes or sins we've committed this year, God's love hasn't changed and it's not going to change. He's going to love you. And Romans 8, 38 says, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me say it this way. There's no power that can change the way God feels about you. 
There's nothing you can do to change the way God feels about you. But I wanna remind you that the gospel is not just a gospel of love, it's a gospel of repentance. It's a gospel of repentance. In other words, because God has loved us so much, there is a proper response to that love. And if you don't understand what repentance is, it's a, it's a kind of a church word that simply means to change our direction. We are born predisposed to just follow our own way, our own desire, to look at a, a, a upcoming year like this next one and say, well, this is all about me and I'm gonna do what I wanna do. I'm gonna set the goals I wanna achieve. And it's just gonna be about me, 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 me. And repentance and the message of the gospel is, no, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about God. He is preeminent. In fact, that's the, the main point of today's message. If you wanna write this down, the best thing anyone can do this year is to acknowledge God as preeminent in 2024. If you're like me, um, you don't use big words too much. And so let me define preeminent for us today. Just a simple dictionary definition. Preeminent simply means to be superior, to, to be surpassing, to be above or before others. Let me say that again. If Christ is gonna be preeminent in our lives, it means that he needs to be superior, above and before others, above and before all else, I would say. And the, the reality is that's already who Christ is. He's already preeminent. The, the question is, are we going to acknowledge it or not? Or are we going to live this year making ourselves preeminent? Are we gonna to try to put ourselves in a place that is superior? Or are we gonna acknowledge the fact that he already is? And I think one of the best things we can do this year is to start with God. I'm gonna go back to that verse we read in Psalm 34. What does it say? Seek the Lord first. Taste and see that he is good. Seek him first and you will knock no good thing. Matthew 6, when Matthew is recording the words of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, what does he say in chapter 6? He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And then it talks about how the things we need will be added to us. Again, I want to remind us that God's standard and definition of goodness, we even need to submit that to him. Because sometimes we don't have the right appetites. We don't have the right desires. Sometimes the things we think are best, they're simply not what's best. And we need to, to go to him and say, God, I want you to define what is good. I, I want you to define what is best for me, what is healthy for me. And in conclusion, I would just like to kind of go through a list of areas that I think we're tempted to hold on to. First of all, in our families and our relationships. There's areas when it comes to people in our homes, maybe it's friendships, maybe it's siblings, maybe it's significant others, maybe you're dating, maybe you're, maybe you're looking for a significant someone. What if we approached this year and we said, God, this is not what I want, it's what you want. Maybe there's some unrest, maybe there's some tension in your home or your family and you know there's a conversation you need to have. Maybe it's a conversation of forgiveness or or apologies or something, I don't know. But what if we said, God, this is, this is, I wanna do this your way, not my way. What about in our finances? Instead of setting the budget that we think looks best to us and where we determine and line out all our giving and our savings and our bills and our income and all that, what if we said, God, this is yours? What if we said, God, 
It's an open book. You are now the decision maker of what I buy and how I spend my money. Maybe there's some, maybe there's some unhealthiness there and we're like, man, there's, there's a lot of debt here. There's some things I need to do differently. God, I don't even know how to get out of this hole I'm in. What should I do? What if we started with him? And at least in my case, he's smarter than me anyways in that regard. So why not just trust him? What about in the areas of our health? I joked about the gym memberships and I'm wearing a black sweater and all the things that like we have this pressure to, to look good, so to speak. But what if we actually viewed our bodies as what the scriptures say as the temple of the Holy Spirit? And we said, God, how do you want me to take care of what you've given me? He's probably got a better plan than us anyways. Workout plans are insanely difficult. Have you noticed that? And like these people are on there, they're like, just, just calmly place the small of your foot on, or the sole of your foot and the small of your back. Like, I can't do that. Like, <laughs> like if this is the plan, like I can't do that. <laughs> they don't know me. Why don't I go to God and say, God, what is my next step? He'll probably leave Cattleman's Gold barbecue sauce in there for you, I bet. Anyways. Spiritual disciplines, a lot of people have this goal, like I'm gonna pray more, I'm gonna read the Bible more, I'm gonna do this, do that. What if we said, God, what, what should my personal time with you look like? What, should I create a space that's more conducive for time with you? Should I, what, what, what should I be studying this year? Maybe he has something deeper for you or maybe there's, he wants to prepare you for a season that you don't know is around the corner, but he wants to prep your heart and your soul to be ready. What if we asked him what his plan for us was instead of going to social media to see what everybody else is doing? What if we approached our job as a place of like opportunity? What if we said, God, this is not about what I'm making. This is about the opportunity you have given me. What attitude should I have toward my coworkers, my boss? Maybe you're in charge of a team. How should I influence them? Maybe it's not just about making sure they get the task done. Maybe it's somehow investing in them. God, how can I use my job to bring you glory? What's your plan? Those are just a few areas. But I hope you get what I'm trying to get across. This whole year, let's not make it about what we want. Let's start with what God wants to do. And I thought about a way to close, and I've never actually done this before, but I think a good way to close would be if you would just stand with me at this time, and let's just say and pray the, the Lord's Prayer together, because I think this is a good way to capture and articulate what I think God wants to do for us this year. Would you pray with me? And re let's recite it together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I think that's a great way to start. Let's make it about him. You guys are dismissed. Thank you so much for your kind attention. We will see you next Sunday.